Hello and welcome to the Being Well podcast. My name's Forrest Hansen. Today we're going to continue our exploration of the strength of gratitude, which we're using here as a kind of catch-all term for various kinds of positive emotions, by focusing on feeling successful, how we can get better at identifying and internalizing the many successes, large and small, that we experience each day. Joining me to talk about feeling successful is, as always, Dr. Rick Hansen. So when we're talking about feeling successful as a big umbrella term, we're almost necessarily discussing goals and goal direction. Yeah. Most of the time when we feel successful, it's because we completed some kind of goal, right? Right, No matter how large or small. So if it's all right with you, I'd like to start talking about feeling successful in the context of having and keeping goals and having a positive relationship with those goals. To start with a question, why do we have goals at all? Why is having a healthy relationship with our goals important for various kinds of mental health? Relentless necessity of goals is so obvious that we very, very often ignore it. Mm -hmm. And part of what informs my own thinking about this is that coming up through the human potential movement, I encountered many people who, with good intentions, and intentions are goals, (laughs) emphasize the non-dual nature of reality. It's Mm -hmm. all just one thing in which there are no meaningful distinctions between things and in which it is problematic to make one thing better than another. Mm -hmm. Uh, And obviously, for us to have a goal, it means that it's preferred in some way. There's some sense of valuing it, Mm -hmm. uh, or to put it kind of simply, over there is better in some sense than over here. Yeah, we're pursuing one thing and not another thing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm picking uh, chocolate over vanilla. That's my goal. And my goal is to have ice cream at all, Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to a stick in the oven, right? (laughs) So so I think it is useful to step back and and kind of think a little bit about this whole notion of goals altogether, including some of the pitfall Mm -hmm. in pursuing goals. So if you consider just pure biology, even at the level of very, very simple single-celled organisms, paramecia or amoeba, amoebae, um, they have aims. They'll move away from a solution that's uh, increasingly salty, and they'll mm-hmm. move toward, let's say, a solution, uh, water, that is increasingly sugary. Mm-hmm. That's just a goal. They'll, they'll swim toward something good, and they'll swim away from something bad. It's as simple as that. Uh, Inside our own bodies with roughly 100 trillion cells inside us, each one of those cells has a regulatory system Mm -hmm. uh, that is itself regulated by what's in DNA, which, in a sense, have been shaped by evolution toward the goals of passing on genes that pass Mm -hmm. on genes. Cells have goals in effect. They have processes directed at an aim Mm -hmm. that are regulated by different kinds of feedback loops to accomplish certain things, such as to metabolize certain nutrients or in the immune system to uh, identify and then attack certain pathogenic little creatures that have somehow gotten into our bodies. Uh, These are different kinds of goals, moment to moment to moment, at the more macro level of the personal together, say, there's just no way to avoid goals. So there's no way around goals. Mm -hmm. No matter how non-dual you want to be, not having goals is a goal. Being non-dual is a goal. Being grounded in the oneness of everything with no differentiation whatsoever, um, that's a goal. The only question really is, do we have good goals? Mm -hmm. And what is our relationship to our goals and the pursuit of them? 
Yeah, for me, the example that's always rung true for me is just what you gave at the end there. The, the idea that, you know, not having a goal is itself yeah. a kind of goal. A retort to that on a certain level would yeah. be, well, you're being a little bit reductive here. Because what I'm saying in my pursuit of non-goalness, for mm. lack of a better phrase, is less about, you know, I have a goal to breathe. And more about I want to hold my goals lightly. Okay. And so that's a goal. Yeah, which yeah. of course is a goal. Yeah. But even they could hold that goal lightly right, right, as well right, right, for whatever right. it might be. I, I guess my point in this is that what you said at the end about that healthy relationship yeah. towards goals, the way that that person might be trying to achieve it is by sort of being so have putting some distance between themselves and their goal. Mm -hmm. um, is there a way that you think that we can achieve a more healthy relationship with our goals? It's a great question. Uh, so first off, I think that many, many people feel unsuccessful. They feel mm -hmm. inadequate. Yeah. In the back of their mind, there's a sense of wistful longing to be more successful in a variety of ways. And also, I think many people have important goals, but they don't actually commit to them. So eventually we'll be talking about uh, the strength of motivation and also the strength of aspiration. Here we're getting at the ways in which, first, feeling successful builds up resources inside that help people be more resilient, in part because the internalization of experiences of success, including many little moments of success at many little small goals, helps us tolerate and get through and recover from and be willing to risk experiences of failure. Mm -hmm. So people who have internalized more of a sense of success inside are more willing to be ambitious and try big things and go for it. And that's a useful thing that tends to promote resilient well-being. The other thing is that I know a lot of people who feel very driven towards success of one kind or another, even though they're already really quite successful. Mm -hmm. And they describe this drivenness as a kind of compulsion, mm. as if there's a puppet master pulling them along. Although, of course, that puppet master lives between their own ears. Yeah. And so one way around that is to let feelings of success sink in, which helps people be less neurotically driven. Mm. Mm -hmm. Now, as a, I think, fact, people who are less neurotically driven or maybe less willing to work 60 hours a week while being paid for 50 or yeah, sure. 40. And so there are forces in organizations and leaders and in society in general that, in a funny kind of way, don't want to let people feel successful already. Mm. Uh, stay hungry. Stay thirsty. Right? Yeah. And so a little bit of uh, what we're talking about here, at least, is in a sense a kind of rebellion against that and a critique of it and a kind of stuffy insistence on, hey, I want to let myself feel appropriately and authentically successful. And then on that platform, I'm going to decide for myself what my aspirations are. Yeah, we spent actually a paragraph or two in the book Resilient discussing mm -hmm. exactly that topic. And it was sort of a pet topic of mine as we were going through the process of writing the book. Yeah, There are a lot of little things every day, whether it's your boss kind of shrugging at all the hard work you did on a project to other people, your friends, kind of pushing you down a little bit if you're getting a little bit too amped up about feeling accomplished about something 
even if it's just in sort of a healthy way where they're ribbing you about it, to an unhealthy way where they feel jealous about your accomplishment and are trying to minimize it. There are a lot of forces that exist in life that are trying to stop us from feeling successful in a variety of ways, which just means that it's even more important to look for those opportunities to actually earnestly feel successful. And one of the things that you were pointing to a little bit earlier in your depiction of goals were all the different kinds of goals that we could have really in every moment Mm. from the regulatory level of the body, which, okay, I'm not going to really give myself a pat on the back for my heart still beating, to very simple kind of um, outcome and process goals, as you describe them in the book. Would you mind talking to that a little bit? Oh, yeah. So again, here too, we're just trying to be opportunistic. Yeah. If you're looking for opportunities to have experiences of success, which you then internalize, Mm -hmm. the familiar engine, if you will, of growing resilient well-being, then it's useful to identify many opportunities to experience goal attainment. And to do that, it's useful to identify many kinds of goals. So just to be systematic about it, I think of outcome goals distinct from process goals. Mm. And this is a distinction that others make as well. So an outcome goal is, did I bake the cake? Mm-hmm. Yes or no? Or put the plate back in the cupboard? Or save enough money to retire comfortably in my 60s or 70s? That's, those are outcome goals. Did, did the person agree to dance with me mm-hmm. or not? That's an outcome goal. A process goal is... Did I enjoy baking the cake along the way? Did my work life fulfill me independent of how much money I was able to save from it? Did the process of screwing up my courage to ask the other person to dance with me, was that meaningful to me intrinsically, distinct from whatever the result might be, along the way? And so those are process goals. Outcome goals, I distinguish between little outcome goals that we achieve in a fairly short time frame, like baking a cake, let's say it's an hour or two, compared to long-term outcome goals, like saving enough money for retirement, Mm -hmm. or developing oneself or training oneself in graduate school or some kind of long-term training program. And so these three, short-term outcome goals, long-term outcome goals, and process goals are different categories or different ways in which a person can experience feeling successful. For me, it was actually kind of revelatory. That's sort of a strong word, but yeah, I think it's appropriate here. To realize that almost everything that I did in the course of a day was essentially an accomplishment. Yes. You know, it was meeting a kind of goal. So particularly once you can start to identify the little process goals yeah. that make up those short and long-term outcome goals, all of a sudden you have all of these opportunities to feel successful because meeting each of those little moments along the way is itself a success. And to use the example of baking the cake, which is a good one because um, baking is very much a process. You know, you measure out your flour and you crack your eggs, whatever it is. Again, much as I'm not necessarily going to give myself a pat on the back for my heart beating, I'm not necessarily going to give myself a pat on the back for cracking some eggs. But I think that acknowledging that you're doing something Mm -hmm. and that simple act of making little steps down the trail towards that cake in some ways actually help us value the cake more once we get there. Yeah. Because we've acknowledged the effort that we've put in along the way. Yeah. If I could build on that, part of what we're talking about here is how to hack the dopamine system in your brain. Yeah. Which is a critically important neurotransmitter system. Uh, These days, as you know, people are talking about it and writing about it. 
And one of the things about dopamine is that it uh, itself is not particularly pleasurable. It leads into the activation of neurotransmitter systems that themselves are more directly involved in the experience of pleasure, of including the pleasure of success. Those neurotransmitter uh, systems being uh, the natural opioids. On the other hand, when there is an expectation of accomplishment, and yet what occurs is falling short of that, then dopamine drops, and that definitely feels un- uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So a thing a person can do, just like you said, is look for progress along the way. Mm-hmm. And as you've talked about many times, people tend to defer their sense of reward way into the future. Yeah. And so they don't feel that they're worthy of any sense of progress until they finally fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. Complete college, attain a very high level in their performances, get the Nobel Prize. Until that, until then, it's like wandering through the desert with mm-hmm. no water along the way. Yeah. And that's just not any way to be happy in life. And it creates a lot of frustration, a lot of drivenness, and a lot of conflict with other people. The other thing I want to add is that as dopamine rises, we learn more from our experiences. Mm, mm-hmm. So if a person is grinding away... They become flagged as salient and pleasurable keepers, and keepers. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Exactly right. So if a person is grinding away with little sense of progress, well, not much dopamine being released. And uh, it becomes hard to keep paying attention to what you're doing because dopamine helps to stay focused on something. And also... If there's not much dopamine being released because there's not much sense of actual progress along the way, there's not a sense of successful accomplishment each step of the way, mm-hmm. then we don't tend to learn much in the journey. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if you want to help yourself stay focused in the moment, and even to tasks, in- including to repetitive, boring, kind of grinding tasks, familiar tasks, or if you want to help yourself maximize the learning value, the growth whatever it is that might be available to you, including the development of even greater skillfulness along the way, it's very useful to focus on what is a sense of goal attainment, Mm. uh, step after step after step that keeps the dopamine flowing so you're learning from the journey you're on. So you alluded to this a little bit earlier, yeah. but if we have all of these opportunities to feel successful every day and why is it that so many people often feel unmotivated and beaten down and just kind of generally like Sisyphus pushing the boulder up the hill yeah. and like they're never going anywhere? Yeah. There's this uh, spiritual teacher, Gurji, going mm-hmm. back to my youth and even prior to that, <laughs> uh, who made the point that mm, he said most people, certainly many people, mm-hmm. go through their days as if they are sleepwalking. Mm. There's something poignant and true about it. And for example, the research, uh, modern research on people indicates that the typical person roughly half the time has a wandering mind, Mm -hmm. which means that they're basically going through the motions in whatever they're doing and their mind is somewhere else, including, wow, in their important personal relationships as well as in their job. And they're not awake. So Mm -hmm. it's really important, I think, to kind of wake up from the dream and be, as we used to say in the Boy Scouts or something, all present and accounted for. So one reason why people don't experience success is that they're sleepwalking. They're mm-hmm. zombies. They're just sort of moving through the days, numb, oblivious, trying to just get to the end of the day. And the one thing they do want to do maybe, which is have dessert after dinner. So that's one reason why. 
I think a second reason why is that we tend to compare ourselves to others routinely. Mm -hmm. And you made a point to me for us uh, long ago that I've thought about a billion times ever since, <laughs> give or take a few, which is that <laughs> through social media, yeah, we're always learning about Facebook, Instagram. We're we're you, we're always learning about the carefully edited highlight reel yeah. of the lives of other people. Mm -hmm. They're at an event. They take fifty pictures. They post the one picture in which they look great. Yeah, for sure. And then we compare ourselves to them, mm -hmm. except we're really aware of all fifty pictures or all fifty yeah, minutes totally. of the last hour in which we didn't look so great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I can't really claim that as an original thought. It's an observation that many people have made. But but that being said, I think that there is a way in which one of those social forces that makes it difficult to feel successful is just the pervasiveness of the internet and the pervasiveness of social media and that online culture, where there are a lot of rewards associated with presenting a very edited exterior when the interior is often a lot more complicated than we make it out to be. Yeah, completely true. The other reason I think that people don't feel successful is that they've internalized a harsh inner critic. Mm. And we're going to talk more about this when we get to the strength of confidence. Mm -hmm. But there is inside many, many people a voice, a point of view, mm -hmm. an emotional force that diminishes their accomplishments, minimizes their accomplishments, while being turbocharged and very quick to point out any gap mm -hmm. between ideal and actual intention and result. And that internalized harsh inner critic is uh, also a major source of the ways in which it's hard for people to experience accomplishment when they really deserve to. Mm -hmm. So how about those times when you actually don't accomplish something? Yeah. Because we're not going to meet every goal that we have in the course of our life, right? So even though there are many thousand opportunities to experience success each day, there are also those times where we fall short of our goals for yeah. one of a variety of reasons. What do we do then? There, I think that structure of um, let be, let go, let in mm. that we've written about, the sort of three fundamental ways to engage the mind mm -hmm. or three fundamental stages of moving through an upset. So in the beginning, it helps to just let the feelings of failure be, to explore them, to experience them, maybe tune in to what is stirred up by them, the younger layers, the younger associations to that experience, and simply be with it mindfully. Mm -hmm. Then in the second stage, we tend to release them. We try to let them flow. And then in the third stage, we let in some kind of alternative positive experience that's well matched to whatever we've released. I'm thinking right now of uh, the of my meditation group, and I gave a talk last night at it, and it was a good talk. It was okay. But what I noticed was that there was kind of a collective shrug in the room when I was done. <laughs> and who knows what kind of thought balloons were hovering over people's heads. Sure. But I just had this funny little feeling that over many, many people's heads would be a thought balloon with one word in it. Meh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> anyway, sure. I probably am overdoing it because I still grapple with an internalized self-critic. But actually, there you are. It, it happened. And yeah. I kind of felt it in the back of my mind last night and a little bit right now as I just kind of bring it up. Mm-hmm. And yet, I must accept it. 
you don't have a you don't hit a home run every time you're at bat. Yeah. And in a way, I'm reminded here of this notion uh, in a Tibetan Buddhism called the Eight Worldly Winds. Hmm. It's this idea that as we go through life, there are these major things that happen: hmm. praise and blame, pleasure and pain, gain and loss, and it's said fame and ill repute. <laughs> These traditional terms are really a crack up. First off, it's really interesting yeah. that in this ancient wisdom tradition, 50% of these wins are social. Mm. They're about mm-hmm. relationships. And second, there's a deep appreciation that sometimes the winds will blow of fame mm-hmm. or praise. And yet other times the winds will blow of blame or ill repute. and The way to be in life over the long haul is not to get too excited about the winds of fame and praise. Yeah. On the other hand, to not get too down by the winds of blame or ill repute. Hmm. Related to that, if I count, uh, quote, Shantideva, uh, a Tibetan sage, he said, there are those who will praise me. Why should I get upset about blame? There are those who will blame me and criticize me, why should I get elated with praise? Mm. And that's a deep way to look at it. I think that what you're leaning into here conceptually is the idea of holding our wants lightly Mm. while still being strong in pursuit of our goals. Yeah. And that's, I think, a tricky balance, you know, the balance between being very positively goal-directed and really taking those opportunities to internalize a feeling of success when you've got the opportunity to, while at the same time holding the wants around those goals, those kind of more distant, Mm -hmm. maybe um, outcome goals that we have a little bit less control over, just a little bit more lightly, because we're not always going to hit the home run when we walk up to the plate. So as a kind of partner to that, we've been highlighting the value of feeling successful so far and the difficulties that arise when we experience a feeling of failure. What about kind of the other side of that coin a little bit here? For instance, if we're attached to feeling accomplished about something, if we always really want to achieve because that fear of failing really hurts, Mm. wouldn't that motivate somebody to not aim very high, to kind of limit their aspirations to what they feel is attainable? Oh, yeah. One of our core ideas is this notion of Uh, the importance of being willing to risk the dreaded experience. Yeah, absolutely. Because the fear of the dreaded experience and the unwillingness to risk the dreaded experience makes people live small Mm -hmm. inside the bars of an invisible cage. And you're exactly right. I've known many people, myself included, who were afraid to uh, stand up, speak Mm -hmm. up, and stand out Mm -hmm. for fear of a shaming attack. Yeah. Uh, either because it actually happened when they were young or they observed it happening around themselves mm-hmm. or they knew it could happen. So, yes, people, I think, have a lot of quiet suffering related to the felt sense and even the knowing that they lived smaller than they could have lived mm-hmm. in their one wild and precious life, mm-hmm. as Mary Oliver would put it, or that they flattened their own possible trajectory as they moved through life. They didn't bet on themselves. And I grappled with that in my 20s and 30s, certainly, mm-hmm. a sense of losing faith with oneself. Yeah, And I, I can say from the inside out, certainly for myself, and I observe it in others, that the, the repeated hundreds of times, thousands of times, 
internalization of a sense of capability and accomplishment. There are multiple things in this, including the sense, as we've talked about recently in previous podcasts, of agency. Mm -hmm. Uh, That repeated internalization again and again and again helps one feel increasingly that, you know, I'm going to soar as high as I can, and it won't be for lack of effort, and it won't be for lack of aiming that holds me down. Whatever creates the ceiling of how high I soar, it won't be for lack of vision of what's actually possible in this life. Yeah, I think that that's a great response to that critique in general. I suppose my one final kind of question about the difficulties people have with goals, and particularly that idea of the fear of failure, I think in many, certainly in many corporate traditions, there is a real emphasis on this idea that more pressure is motivating. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the greater your fear of failure, the more likely you will be to attain a level of success. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a great quote, actually, from Pat Riley, who's the executive team president, whatever the title happens to be, of the Miami Heat now, and Mm -hmm. used to be a great coach in the NBA. I believe his line is something to the extent of, when I won, it was okay, but nothing ever motivated me like the horrible experience of losing. Yeah. Maybe the natural critique of that is that, sure, that might be great for the highest possible level of performance, but it's probably pretty bad for leaving a happy and healthy life. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering if you have sort of any responses to that worldview. I find it really interesting. Mm. And also I find that uh, that attitude gets mythologized Mm -hmm. and valorized. It gets praised and elevated. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the other Uh, ways of looking at motivation over the long haul, including at the highest levels of performance, don't really get talked about, Mm. which in a certain kind of way maybe is a a kind of example of the negativity bias. Mm. And so with regard to uh, Riley and others and and peak performance, I would say, okay, that worked for you. Mm -hmm. That vehicle worked for you. First, I would wonder about the costs. Yeah. And second, I would wonder about an alternative vehicle Mm -hmm. that would be just as motivating without the collateral damage. Mm -hmm. And that is an overarching question that you see in many, many situations. People come in the door with an MO, a modus operandi, their way of being, including, for example, a suit of armor that they're wearing in terms Mm -hmm. of interpersonal defensiveness. And they're used to it. They know what it's like. They don't want to walk away from it. Uh, I had a couple of friends who were talking with each other, and uh, one friend was saying to the other, man, I've had my head up my lately. Mm. And the other guy said, yeah, but it's great to be home again. (laughs) And there is something about that. You know, what's familiar. Mm -hmm. So people do become used to the fear of loss or the fear of humiliation, or the fear of pain Mm -hmm. as a great motivator. And they use it. It is motivating. Uh, That's another example of the negativity bias. Pain can be more motivating than pleasure Mm -hmm. over the short haul. On the other hand, I think it's useful for people to ask themselves, wait a minute here, can I let myself and can I explore the motivation that involves me being attracted to, drawn to, an NBA championship, mm. or whatever the equivalent might be in mm-hmm. some part of your life, can I explore what it's like to be drawn to that 
rather than repulsed by the horror of losing yeah. or the fear of looking like a loser. Mm-hmm. And I think what people realize is that when they're motivated by um, that kind of aspiration, it draws them toward the goal in a more effortless way. They don't expose themselves to the impact of what's called willpower fatigue, in which they have to keep you know, pushing themselves forward. And they also don't have to take on themselves the wear and tear endlessly of uh, the negative experiences, the stressful experiences of feeling unsuccessful, feeling like you lost. And as we reduce the wear and tear on our body uh, through due to experiences of feeling like a loser or unsuccessful, that preserves resources, mm-hmm. mental and physical resources inside us that we can draw upon to reach to the stars. And then just the last thing I'll say is that a lot of people's goals, I think, that they drive toward based on negative motivation, in a sense, the reduction of pain rather than the maximization of pleasure, many of those goals are not really their own. Mm. They were handed to them by other people, often not for good reasons. Mm. And I would really raise the question, especially if a person is experiencing a lot of collateral damage Mm -hmm. in chasing some particular dream, is it really your dream or your mother's? Sure. Or your father's. Yeah. You know, my mom in particular had dreams for me, and I had to sort out her dreams from my dreams inside yeah. my own mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the dreams of the culture, or the boss, or the corporate overlords. Is it your dream or is it theirs? Mm-hmm. And then if it is your dream, can you progress toward it, feeling successful along the way and being drawn by? the positive motivation of feeling increasingly successful rather than being propelled away from the pain of feeling like a loser. I think that's a really natural and really sweet note to end on. So to give a little recap of some of the things we talked about today, we were exploring the general topic area of feeling successful, and particularly inside of that, how do we relate to our goals? We all have goals ranging from the goal to keep breathing to very distant outcome goals, like saving enough money for retirement or eventually achieving whatever it is that we want to achieve in our career. And the question really is not, can we have goals or not? Because goals are forced upon us by evolution at the most basic level. And it's much more about how can we relate positively to those goals. And even as we pursue those goals, can we feel successful in the many, many steps in that journey along the way? We talked about different kinds of goals, process goals, which happen in pursuit often of some larger goal, short-term outcome goals, you know, the baking a cake example that we gave, and then long-term outcome goals. We talked about feelings of failure and what happens when you have a goal that falls through for whatever reason, and how can we have a positive relationship to that experience. Towards the end, we talked about some of the social constructs that people have around goals and feeling successful and how feelings of success are often kind of held down by various people inside of your relationships, whether that be society as a whole, or a specific boss, or a specific friend, or even a goal, as you said, towards the end that you were given by somebody else that really isn't authentically yours inside of you. And every time that you work in pursuit of that goal, something just feels not quite right. Mm -hmm. 
So thank you for joining us today for this episode on feeling successful. If you enjoyed the podcast, we would be very grateful if you'd take a moment to leave a review of the show on iTunes, Google Play, or whatever the platform is of your choice. I think we're on most of them at this point. We hope you'll listen again next week when we'll conclude the strength of gratitude with an episode on how we can be happy for others, a major part of which includes managing natural feelings of disappointment and envy. Until then, thanks for listening. 